Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 145 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo with my friend and colleague, Ryan Dunleavy. And Ryan, the Giants have done something that they haven't done since the final four games of the 2016 regular season. They now have, after beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at MetLife Stadium, 38-35, to a game that they tried to give away at the very end but came out on top. Ryan, they now have a two-game winning streak and all of a sudden the nfc east isn't out of reach for this team even at three and seven yeah uh look the nfc east has been bad all season all the teams stink everybody's hurt we'll get into that as we go along uh look the giants won their two games in a row uh as you and i'll get into they fixed they look a lot better in a lot of different areas but that might be uh just the fact that the teams they played stink uh, stink worse than the Giants, and there's hope as we go towards Thanksgiving. There's hope, man. The Giants fans who were ready to give up during the bye week now have a reason to tune in this Saturday. Yep, the season isn't over even Sunday. at three and seven Sunday. for this team. Sunday afternoon, they, Sundays. Yes, they do. They also played on Thursday this week, and early Happy Thanksgiving to everyone as we gather around the turkey and the football. And as you're driving to grandmother's house, as you're flying to your crazy uncle's abode, we'd love if you would subscribe to the podcast so you can keep up with the episodes as the year goes along. Uh, You can find us on iTunes and subscribe there. You can subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store. You can find us in SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and Google Play, all of your major podcast platforms. And if you love what you hear on the show, and we hope that you do. We'd love if you would leave us a five-star review. It helps us know what you guys like to hear. It helps us also grow the show. Uh, recent review, five stars, Ryan, from the Greek number 30. He says, I love the podcast. I live in the suburbs of Philly, and it's hard for me to keep up on my team when there's just no local coverage around here. All I have to do is subscribe and listen, and I'm back in the know. I got a recap of the previous week and some insight on the upcoming games. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Ryan. So, uh, nice guy. Number 30. Appreciate that review. Yeah, what a nice guy. Absolutely. So let's dive right into this. Uh, the Giants now, as we said, Ryan, have won two games in a row. And I know that the question that we're going to throw out there is, are the Giants better? Or is this just a mirage and a byproduct of what the, we've seen them in the opponents that they've played in the Buccaneers and the Niners who have five wins between them and both are mired in quarterback mediocrity? Uh, what's your take on that? And what are your thoughts on where the Giants are right now as we head into week 12? 
look, Matt, it's easy to split the baby, so to speak. It's easy to say, well, it's a little of both, you know, maybe this, maybe that. That's not what we do. We have hard takes. My hard take is this. Show me it against a better team. Until the Giants show me it against a better team, it's hard for me to believe that they're actually much better. Uh, look, I never thought they were one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, talent, you don't have Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham, Landon Collins, healthy, and you're one of the worst teams in the NFL. It just doesn't happen. Um, so I think the Giants are in no man's land. I think they'll be, I think if they played the Raiders and the Cardinals, they'd beat them too. I just think they're not the worst of the worst and they're not a playoff team, which is what you don't want to be. I mean, I think the Giants, what we've seen these last two weeks is they would have beat these teams in weeks three and week seven if they played them not back to back. So the schedule, the way it lined up, we've talked about this for a long time on this podcast and on this and in our writing on NJ.com slash Giants is the schedule lined up as a murderer's row for seven or eight weeks to start the season. And then it offered some relief. And that now we saw the product of that relief. If the Giants started the season with the 49ers and the um, Buccaneers, they'd probably be two and zero. although those teams are actually at the good same time, team. though, at the same time, though, if we look at on paper going into the year, everybody thought the Jaguars were going to be a Super Bowl contender. Uh, they're now more likely to be picking in the top five of the draft. Everybody thought that the Texans were left for dead at zero and two. They've rattled off seven straight wins since playing the Giants. So the, the schedule has it, it. It's been a Jekyll and Hyde type of year across the NFL. Good point. I, I, I just don't think that there is an easy answer for this. I think the Giants are better in some some areas. I think that putting Spencer Pulley at center and eventually adding Jamone Brown and starting him at right guard has worked wonders for this offensive line. It's no secret that they've played their two best games the last two weeks. And we both talked about, especially you, Ryan, you hammered this point home last sun last week before Sunday's game that the pass rush for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Jason Pierre Paul and the fastballs that they have up front was going to be a real issue for the Giants. And I thought that they did relatively well. And you look at the match. They allowed four sacks on 22 dropbacks. Right, but the Giants also averaged 5.3 yards per carry in the run game. And Correct. I think they were when much you get better the running the game, game going, you can kind of set the tone for the entire game and the rest of the offense and dictate to the defense what you're trying to do. And that starts with the line. So I think the line has been better. The defense, look, you gave up 35 points to Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick. That, that But in the new wave NFL, as we saw Monday night in that thoroughly <laughs> entertaining game, uh, the Chiefs scored 51 points and lost, right? Yeah. I mean, th this is just where we are in the NFL. Points are going to happen. And chunk plays are going to become the new normal. It's going to be like watching the Pac-12 and the ACC and the air raid offenses of West Virginia. That's what we're going to start seeing at the NFL level. And the Giants got into the act with a pick six. They forced a couple of turnovers. So, yes, the Niners and the Buccaneers are more in the mix for the number one pick than competing for the playoff spot. But, Ryan, the Giants have the highest scoring offense in the NFC East. They have the highest scoring points allowed defense. So there's really a Jekyll and Hyde nature here. But you look Look at the Eagles. They're starting practice squad players in the secondary. The Redskins have lost four offensive linemen and now Alex Smith for the year. I don't think the Giants are, you know, monumentally improved since the bye, but I think they're better enough to be in the mix in a division that's been arguably the most disappointing in football. 
Yeah, I just uh, I got to see it, I guess. Uh, you know, fool me once, fool me twice. Look, I thought the Giants were competitive in some of their games early and I kept picking them to win the next week. I just thought uh, I got to see it. And I don't I think with all due respect to the 49ers who were playing Nick Mullins, a practice squad quarterback, and the Giants needed everything in their arsenal to beat him on a last second drive. Uh Jameis Winston came in and you're like, oh, God, if this guy had started the game, the Giants might have lost this game, too. It just seems like the Giants, maybe all the things that were going against them the first couple weeks, no turnovers, uh, lack of points, uh, some bad breaks, a 63-yard field goal by a guy who now misses extra points. uh, It just seemed like maybe the law of averages evened out the last two weeks. And that happens because you're playing bad teams. I got to see it against good teams. And I'll even count. You know what? I'll even throw the Giants a bone and count the Eagles as a good team. Wow. Even though the Eagles stink, they're the defending Super Bowl champions. They have talent all over the place. Uh, I will give the Giants. You beat the Eagles, and I'll believe you're much better. But if they go out and play, uh, look, the Eagles kicked their butt in week six. So if they if that happens again, I'll be I'll obviously be right. Or I, what I wouldn't be surprised, Matt, is if we go back to the same exact game they were playing before the bye. Some hard-to-score, low-scoring 13-6 end of the third quarter game, and that'll tell me that the Giants really haven't changed much, that they were beating up on bad competition, which is something that 6-10 and 10 teams do. Every year, Matt, somebody in the NFL picks ninth in the draft because they went 6-10, and 10, and I'm afraid that's where the Giants are headed. Yeah, uh, Ryan, here's the deal. We're going to give our prediction at the end of the podcast, but let's throw out a hot take alert right here. The Giants are beating the Eagles by 10 points on Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there. Look, if you go back and you watch that Eagles-Saints game. There this were multiple- from a guy who had PHL on his Twitter when I first met him. Right, because I covered the Eagles and did yeah, talk yeah. radio in Philadelphia for five years. But yeah. here, here, here's the deal. The, the Eagles had multiple plays on Sunday where they had 10 men on the field defensively. The Eagles have uh, three practice squad level players in their secondary against an offense that features Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, uh, Saquon Barkley, and Evan Ingram. Uh, the Eagles right now are banged up on the offensive line, and the New Orleans Saints put up 48 points on them in Sean Payton took his foot off the gas pedal when his own players had to talk them out of going for a touchdown in the fourth quarter on fourth and seven. So look, again, I don't think the Eagles are a very good team right now. I think they're in absolute disarray. I think the Giants are playing better than them. But but here's the hard reality. Even if the, the Giants beat the Eagles and beat them handily, I don't think they're anywhere anywhere close to the Chicago Bears who punched the Minnesota Vikings, who were a very good football team, in the mouth in primetime on Sunday. I don't think that they're better than the Tennessee Titans when Marcus Mariota is healthy. And the more that I see of Andrew Luck, the more that I'm starting to come around to your side of this argument that the Colts are a lot better than people expected them to be. So I, I think the Giants, for the sake of them making some sort of playoff run, I think they're good enough to beat up on the division the rest of the way, but they're nowhere near cracking that playoff-worthy tier. Yeah, I mean, look, if the Giants are going to make the playoffs, they have to beat the Titans and the Bears, uh, as well as the three teams in their de- And the Colts, all three of teams are, like, borderline playoff teams. And the AFC South might be the best AFC division. So, look, I it, they might be able to beat the the 
Cowboys or the Redskins or the Eagles and go all of whom have already beat the Giants, by the yep. way. Let's let yep. they better have improved because they're already lost to all three of those teams. So even if they won all three of those games, what does that get you? That gets you what I keep saying. That gets you six wins, and that ain't nearly enough. You gotta beat three teams that are borderline that are like you said to begin, and it was a really good point, Matt, is that those teams are now, the Jaguars are now worse than the Colts and the Titans. We thought the Jaguars was a tough game. The Titans and the Colts are better than the Jaguars. So um, they're better than, they're better than some of these teams. The Giants have already lost it. They're just as good as the Panthers. So yep. I don't know, just as good as the Falcons. So uh, look, it, they, they dug themselves a huge hole. Maybe you're right. Maybe they've improved. Maybe I'm right. Maybe they haven't. I don't know that it's going to matter either way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think that they're good enough to be in the mix in a division where nobody's going to run away with it. I mean, I think that Washington without Alex Smith and without a healthy offensive line, I just don't know how they compete. I mean, they signed Mark Sanchez. But they Sanchez. have a three-game lead with seven games to go on from oh, a giant. Correct, correct. I, I mean, that's But again, I, I think that that three-game lead can evaporate fairly quickly. I, I don't think that they're going to hold on to that lead uh, for, for many weeks when you're starting either Mark Sanchez or Colt McCoy, at quarterback. I mean, yeah. let, let's just look at their upcoming games. On Thursday on Thanksgiving, they go to Dallas. I think Dallas wins that game. They go to Philadelphia. Who, who knows what happens there? Who knows what the Eagles are next week? Then they, they host the Giants in a very big game. Uh, if the Giants win that, that's a two-game swing. You go to Jacksonville. You go, they, they go to Tennessee, and they finish up with the Eagles at home. Listen, I don't think the Giants are going to win the division. I think this is a, a, a potentially 6-10 and 10 football team. But this division could be won by a team that wins eight games. Yeah, I just again, it's going to be so hard for the Giants to get to eight games. Uh, well, they didn't start three and five; they started one and seven. So, uh, look, the Redskins only have to win two more to get to eight, eight to eight wins. I mean, the Eagles only have to win four more. The Giants have to win five more. Five like, more. Yeah. It's a big. Di- I mean, it's a big difference in the NFL. This isn't baseball where there's 162 games. Not to sound like a coach, you have limited opportunities, and the Giants squandered too many of them. And I, again, I just it look. It feels good, right? I, I'm I'm writing it too. I'm writing every story about. Oh, the Giants are getting more dirty runs out of Saquon Barkley running between the tackles, and he did. He did it. He did it more. It looked good. This is the offensive line. We were fed up during the bye week, and we turned things. We decided to play better as if it's that easy to do but you know what pat pat him on the back they played well for two weeks after seven weeks of you know criticizing and nitpicking everything they were doing wrong two weeks you're right they did play better but as fans keep pointing out to me on twitter it's like well they played the 49ers and the bucks yeah well you know what for i didn't i didn't Get, I didn't uh, take my foot off the gas and say, well, you know, how who can blame them? They played the Eagles or who can blame them? They played the Jaguars because, as you said, you just don't know. Look, I, I would have thought both those things. And now the Eagles and Jaguars aren't any good. So you just can't worry too much about the competition. You just can't. You just can't say, uh, look, that's why they were one and seven or that's why they're three and uh seven now you just can't worry too much about it so yes you write about all the things they've improved but if you really want me to believe it show it to me when by beating these teams the next couple weeks yeah no i agree i think it's put up or shut up this uh, put up or shut up time for this team over the next several weeks and and again we can break down the schedule very quickly here but of course they go to uh philadelphia this sunday i think that's a very winnable football game you have the bears uh, coming in, I think we agree that the Bears are going to take care of business in that one, correct? 
Yeah, so there, there. That's already your eighth loss. Correct. And I think that you go to Washington and win that football game because, I mean, the quarterback play just isn't going to be – look, look. I, I mean, we've seen it across the league. When backup quarterbacks go in the game, their next start is a train wreck. We saw it firsthand. Mullins, you know, kept the Niners in the game, but he was nothing flashy, nothing spectacular. I don't think that Colt McCoy or Mark Sanchez are going to be able to beat this team. Tennessee, I think you lose that game, and okay. I think you wind up losing to the Colts and beating the Cowboys to go six and 10. But I think Uh, we'll look back and we'll say that they were better than they were the first half, but not quite playoff worthy in a division where had they not given away one score games in the first half of the season, if, if, you know, the, the Panthers missed that field goal or they don't even get a chance to kick it. Or if you, come back and beat the Jaguars and finish that comeback drive in the fourth quarter. Maybe it's a little bit different, but you know, at least this team isn't, but, but the problem comes in here, Ryan, is you play yourself further and further away from a top draft pick. Exactly. You're in no man's land. That's what I've been saying. Yeah. Look, I don't mean to uh, poo poo what the giants did the last two weeks. Look, it, it, it was fun to be a fan. I'm sure these last two weeks, but Again, let, let's find out a little bit more about the Giants. This is, I think, the time we're going to this is the time we're going to learn. This is the time to pay attention. If you're a Giants fan, put on your TVs, uh, you know, say, try to uh, get your extra your post turkey exercise in before Sunday at one o'clock, because this is you like you said, put up or shut up time. This is we're really going to find out if the Giants uh, discovered the fountain of youth or whatever during the bye week. They had some great discovery during the bye week of how to play and how to win. Uh, we'll, we'll find out if it works. Yep, and I think that it started with a couple of things. They committed to running the football on Sunday. They opened up the game with three straight running plays. Saquon Barkley, 27 carries, 142 yards, 5.3 yards per carry, two touchdowns. He added a receiving score. Wayne Gallman, two carries for 11 yards. That's five and a half yards per clip. And you look at Eli Manning, he was very nearly flawless. He was 17 of 18, 231, sacked four times, two touchdowns, no picks, and a perfect passer rating of 155.8. The one Blemish was he misfired on a wheel route to Saquon Barkley. If he leads him, that's probably a 25-yard score. Underthrew it behind him a little bit. But, Ryan, you look at the quarterback play the last two weeks, and Eli Manning leads him on a game-winning comeback drive against the Niners, uh, is very nearly perfect against Tampa Bay. Uh, he has a chance to put together another solid game if the offensive line can keep him upright against the Eagles because, as I've said over and over again, that secondary is very vulnerable right now in Philadelphia. The Eagles have been Manning's the team that he's had the most trouble with in his career. Obviously, he has the most games against the Redskins, Cowboys, and uh, Eagles. He's far above 500 against the Redskins. He's around 500 against the Cowboys, and he's well under against the Eagles. I mean, and Philadelphia, with the exception of that crazy comeback maybe a decade ago with an overtime touchdown pass to Plaxico Burris, has kind of been Manning's house of horrors. Uh, the Giants' house of horrors. Uh, so, I look, I, I think he's played well the last two weeks. No one's clamoring for Kyle Laletta or Alex Tanney at the moment. Um, that's not an accident. Uh, Which, I by like, the way, I think is a problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, because if, if you're not going to make the playoffs, but, if you're not going to go 9-7, and seven, th- then what are we doing? But, right? you're, but you're telling me that you think they have a chance to make the playoffs. So, in that regard... It's in that regard, you're doing what you have to do. If you really believe they have a chance to make the playoffs, you have to keep playing Eli Manning till you don't believe Agreed. that anymore. 
No, I, I, I agree. I, I just don't know how long that chance lasts, right? And, yeah. and, and I don't know because, to me, the Giants are, are walking very closely – to that tipping point of not getting a chance yeah. to play Lalletta and evaluate him going into next year. Uh, they're getting very close to lulling themselves into some false sense of security yeah. that Eli Manning can play at age 38, 39, age 40, uh, if they just continue to build around him. And, and I, I think that their competitiveness in the division right now is more a byproduct of the mitigating circumstances of the other three teams in the division than anything that they're built to do either in the short term or the long term. Let me say this about Manning because pundits everywhere are now, you know, oh, Eli Manning was never the problem. I told you if you protect him and blah, blah. Let me say this about Eli Manning. Here's how I feel. Eli Manning can still play when everything else around him is perfect. Like when you block for him and when his receivers are open and when they're running the football and he can set up his play action passes. So in other words, situations that only happen in Madden football on rookie level, right? Or, or for the Rams or the Chiefs or the best or the Saints or the best teams in the NFL. Like I think he can still play when everything else around him is perfect. But the problem is, Earlier in his career, Manning could make you Manning made tight ends. No one's ever heard of better. He made receivers like Steve Smith, a hundred and ten catch receiver. And I'm not talking about the Panthers, Steve Smith. Um, He made guy, you know, he made guys better right now. Aaron Rodgers or um, Pat Mahomes are these guys who can extend plays when the offensive line doesn't block well or can hit no or lose a top receiver and make the next guy come in and look like a star. That's those are guys who, when everything else around them is not doing well, they still play well. That's what Eli cannot do at age 37. And that is not to say he stinks or he's garbage or he needs to retire. It's just the truth of being a 37 year old quarterback. That's what's happened to him. Drew Brees is defying the odds on a team. That's awesome. Eli Manning doesn't have a team that's awesome. He has a lot of stars and then a lot of guys who are borderline practice squad players on his team. That's what the Giants are. They're a team that's top heavy. So I just think Eli Manning can still play when everything else around him goes well. But it's too much to ask over the course of a 16-game schedule for everything to go well. You're going to have games where your offensive line plays bad. You're going to have games where your receivers play bad. You're going to have games where you can't run the ball. And the last two games, the Giants have been able to do most things right. I just don't know that everything around Eli can be can hold up like that over the course of a 16 game schedule. If it does, you'll see this Eli more than likely it won't. And you'll see what we saw from Eli the first half of the season. Right. Which is why I think that it's critical that as, as soon as you're mathematically eliminated, whether that comes against Chicago, whether that comes against Tennessee, as soon as you are mathematically eliminated, um, you need to allocate every game snap to Kyle Lalletta because there are only maybe one or two premier quarterbacks in this year's draft class uh, coming out. And that's Justin Herbert out of Oregon and maybe Will Greer out of West Virginia. And you need to know if you're picking somewhere in that five to 10 range, 
if you need to trade up to number one to take Justin Herbert. You need to know if you can sit tight and feel comfortable with Will Greer or if you can get by and feel good about Kyle Loretta with the talent you have around him by drafting an elite offensive tackle or buying one or drafting a a Nick Bosa or one of the top pass rushers in the class. You need to know these things. So while it's all well and good and exciting and everybody feels good going into the Thanksgiving holiday with the Giants being in the race in a very mediocre division, I don't think that the Giants as an organization can lose sight of the bigger picture as soon as this little run ultimately goes from a Cinderella carriage into a pumpkin. Yeah, and I agree with what you're saying when they're eliminated. The problem is, like you kind of alluded to, they might not be eliminated until there's one or two games left. And this is funny, right? Because now we're almost taking the opposite stances of what we took a couple weeks ago when you wanted to play Laletta against the 49ers and the Bucks, and I didn't. And now, all of a sudden, now we now it's we got to play Manning because we're in the playoff hunt after winning those two games. Look, I, I want more. I thought the right way to do it was to start Manning against the Bucks but I kind of thought it was going to be a farewell kind of game. It is. It wasn't a farewell kind of game. It was, uh, look how much I still have in the tank kind of game. So you're right. They could be headed towards that position where um, they don't have an opportunity to evaluate Laletta, which would be, you know, obviously one of the worst things they could do. But you can't – that locker room, Matt, you and I are in that locker room. That one thing you and I have that fans don't have is access in that locker room every day. Yep. And that locker room – Nate Solder actually said yesterday, we haven't accomplished anything yet. As if anybody would think that winning two games to improve to three and seven has accomplished anything yet. That shows you, I mean, the Giants are jubilant in their locker room. They are, I mean, that locker room the other day was excited and and uh, motivated. And you would have thought they just won a playoff game. So on one hand, that's alarming because of things like Solder had to say, like, hey, guys, we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, on the other hand, it's a good sign. I mean, like I said, they could have quit at one and seven. They didn't. They're now, you know, the, good luck selling Kyle Aletta or Alex Tanny to that locker room because that locker room really believes they're about to win eight games in a row. Yeah, and I think that's a testament to two people. I think it's a testament to the leadership of Odell Beckham Jr., who is deadpanned by, by a lot of the national media and a lot of fans who don't see that side of Odell Beckham Jr. Ryan, it was Odell who stood at his locker, and I was a foot and a half away from him when he said it. Coming out of the bye week, the goal and the mission was to win eight games, that they were going to win all eight, and that now seems to be a rallying cry around the Giants. And I just wonder how far are we away from, and this happened a couple of different times, when I was covering the Eagles, how far away are we from T-shirts that say, you know, win all eight or, or, or you know, two down, six to go. And, oh, and these guys point. walking around that's in the T-shirts point. around the locker room. I think that, that Odell Beckham Jr. deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think that above all else, Pat Shermer, who's taken a lot of criticism from the media and the fan base through the first half of the year, and in a lot of cases, rightfully so, uh, he's kept this team together. And coming out of the bye, we both wrote it. There were no assurances given to Eli Manning as the starter beyond the San Francisco game. And they had a sit-down meeting during the bye. And what's happened? Eli has suddenly played his two best games of the year in back-to-back games. So uh, between Odell's leadership and and Shermer's ability to keep this group together, uh, I, I think whatever happens the rest of the way, 
whether they go three and 13, five and 11, six and 10, or win all eight and go to the playoffs as the NFC's champs and host a home game. I think those two deserve a lot of credit. And I think that it sets the foundation for the culture that they really wanted to spend this year trying to build going into 2019, even if the record doesn't come anywhere close to indicating that the year was a success. Exactly. I think that, uh, that's what I think that that's where they're headed. Uh, that's where they're headed, and that's what needs to be done. Yep. And, and uh, quickly looking ahead to Sunday down at Lincoln Financial Field, you talked about the struggles for the Giants down there. Basically oh, I, for most yeah, of the decade. You, you keep bringing up, Matt, what I think is interesting, you keep bringing up the idea that the Giants have this advantage, uh, their passing attack versus the Eagles secondary, and I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. But one thing I've been meaning to counter with when you said it earlier, and it slipped my mind, was how about the idea of the Giants' offensive line against the uh, Eagles? And you do a great job every week with key matchups. Uh, I would recommend reading it, especially for this game. Uh, how about the Giants' offensive line versus the Eagles' defensive line? Because I thought that's really where the game was decided the first time around. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that this is going to be, look, it's, it's a new-look offensive line for the Giants. And I think that what Jamon Brown is able to do against Fletcher Cox and Spencer Pulley, what he's able to do against Fletcher Cox, that's going to go a long way towards determining the game, right? Because you look at Aaron Donald for the Rams last night and you look at Fletcher Cox, what those two guys do really well that separates them from the Damon Harrisons of the world or even the (laughs) Dalvin Tomlinsons of the world, they generate interior pressure. They generate, they don't just stop the run, they pressure the quarterback. So what the Giants interior offensive line is able to do to keep Cox under wraps and what they're able to do on the outside solder against Brandon Graham. Um, that's going to go a long way towards determining the matchup. And, and Michael Bennett had a big game at MetLife, had a big yeah. first series against that offensive line. So I agree with you. I think the winner of that matchup is going to determine uh, a, a lion's share of the outcome on Sunday. Yeah, I, they, I just think we're paying a lot of attention. To, the Giants might be able to hit some big plays against this Eagle secondary, but only if, again, this goes back to what I was saying five minutes ago, only if Manning has a clean pocket, only if everything holds up around him, will he be able to do that. And I don't, this is the game I don't know that I think you're going to see the pocket collapse in that familiar Manning duck and tumble to protect himself uh, before a sack that makes every Giants fan kind of groan. Yep, and the Eagles haven't been able to run the ball all year. I don't think that changes. I thought that the Giants have done uh, an okay job stopping the run. They did give up 100 yards to Peyton Barber on Sunday, 106 yards and a touchdown. They're going to have to be better than that this week. I mean, you're not going to be able to um, allow the Eagles to be a multidimensional offense. I mean, I I thought that Peter King's piece on Pro Football Talk was fascinating. He had full access to the game plan meeting with Sean Payton and Drew Brees at the Ritz-Carlton in New Orleans prior to the game on Sunday. And he said there are two things. They were going to run and throw at Sidney Jones because they didn't think that he was able to hold up. And sure enough, the Eagles cornerback gave up two big plays on the first three snaps and eventually went down with a hamstring injury. And they said they were going to make they were going to make Carson Wentz beat them. And and they did. They took away the Eagles running game. They put it on Carson Wentz's shoulders and he threw for 356 yards and three interceptions, no touchdowns. So to me, if you're the Giants, you got to try to run on this team. You got to try to run on the Eagles and dictate your offense before mm. going over the top and force them to bring those safeties up yeah. to respect the running game of Saquon Barkley before going over the top to Beckham, Shepard or Ingram. I don't think it's a surprise the Giants. And again, everything here comes with a grain of salt because it's like, oh, it was the Buccaneers. They stink. But I don't think it's a surprise that the Giants 
had their best offensive game in probably three years. Uh, it was the most points they scored since losing to the Saints 52 to 49 in 2015 with Tom Coughlin. Uh, I don't think it's a pr- surprise they had their best offensive game in a long time when they had when Manning threw 20 passes or less and Barkley had 27 carries. I mean, I think that's the formula the Giants needed all season. And I think it just took a long, long, long time to get to that point. Yep. So, Ryan, let me ask you this. What's the one key for the Giants beating the Eagles on Sunday? What has to happen in order for you to believe that they're going to win this game? Well, I kind of just teased it. I think it's the offensive line has to hold up. Even four sacks is too many. I mean, that, I mean, you just you have to do a better job than that. They gave up one to the 49ers. Uh, look, if the offense, if the Giants' offensive line really is fed up, if they really do think they stumbled on something with this group, then you know, hold up, give me one sack, give me two sacks tops, you know, give me uh, move the pile, move the pile on on offense, you know, give me. 80 to 90 Saquon Barkley uh, yards on 20 carries. You know, let me let me see the offensive line dictate because I think that's what needs to happen. And then you need probably a touchdown or two from Odell Beckham. If the Eagle secondary is as banged up as everybody says it is, then a touchdown or two from Beckham. Or if they're going to double team Beckham, then Sterling Shepard we know can have huge games. They need probably three passing touchdowns from Manning, which only happens if he has a clean pocket. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's a major key. But I think that the the other thing that they need to do is uh, they need to generate pressure on Carson Wentz. I mean, listen, the the Eagles, it's no secret they can't run the football. I don't think that the Giants secondary is good enough to, quote unquote, allow Wentz to beat you. I think that he will with weapons like Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz and the the Eagles, excuse me, the Giants have struggled mightily covering tight ends the last couple of weeks. O.J. Howard, five catches for 78 yards on Sunday. Uh, Matt Breda had a monster game for the Niners on that Monday night game in Santa Clara. You can't let Wentz sit back there and beat you. I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to run the ball because they haven't been able to run it all year, but you're going to have to get pressure on Wentz. You're going to have to make him uncomfortable in the pocket and you have to take away Zach Ertz. He's been his security blanket all year and the Saints, that was priority number three, take Ertz away. They did that and they blew out the Eagles. So I think that if you can pressure Wentz and make sure that Ertz isn't able to beat you over the middle i think you're gonna have a good chance to to punch and counter punch this team down the field the giants have had a really hard time covering tight ends for three years i wrote about it after the 49ers game it's been a recurring problem no matter who the coordinator is uh no matter who what personnel is on the field that's gonna fall squarely on landon collins basically landon collins struggled with george kittle he's gonna have to do a good job again he's gonna have to landon collins is a free agent at the end of the season he's gonna want to be paid like one of the top safeties well He's one of the top run-stopping safeties. Let's see him shut down Zach Ertz, and you know his agent will be able to put that on his uh, on his uh, offer sheet. Yep. All right, Ryan. It's prediction time. Who do you think wins this game, and how do you think it goes down? Uh, if you've listened to the first thirty minutes or so of this podcast, you shouldn't shouldn't be surprised. I think the Eagles win twenty-three to nine. Uh, one of those games where the Giants just maybe rack up yards between the twenties, but can't punch it in the end zone. Uh, I just, I you know, probably 16 to nine after three quarters, something like that. A field goal fest on both sides. Uh, I just don't see the Giants taking that next step and being a team as talented as the Eagles, even with their injuries. 
Yeah, I think, Ryan, these are just two teams headed in opposite directions right now, right? And there's really not a whole lot of separation in terms of them record-wise. They win this game, then the Giants move into third place in the division. The Eagles are banged up in areas where the Giants can attack. I think that they are out for revenge. I think that they're out to avenge the last second field goal loss last year. I think you'll have to bad taste in this team's mouth what happened on Thursday night on national TV at MetLife Stadium. And I honestly think there's a really good chance the Giants win this football game, something in the area of 27 to 17. They uh, it, it, look that uh, you you cover the Eagles for a long time. You have a very good feel on the Eagles. Uh, you still know a lot of people who cover the Eagles. So, look, if you feel the Giants are w- going to win that game, people, you you should be giving Giants fans listening to this podcast hope right now. So uh, I guess I'm the Debbie Downer of the NJ Advance. <laughs> of the NJ Advance. Womp womp. Of the for this NJ. week. Just, 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 wait, just wait to hear my breakdown of Mitchell Trubisky and Khalil Mack next week if you think you're the Debbie Downer for the Giants' chances of uh, yeah. You know, yeah. winning a game. Just, just wait, because uh, that wet blanket's coming from the Lombardo side of this podcast soon enough. How crazy is it that nobody, no one even talks about the 2017 draft and Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson. I don't remember that being like, a, wow, this quarterback class is loaded. Uh, Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson. Oh, man, what a, what a quarterback class that was, huh? I, I, I don't mean to be the, the hot take parade today. But here's my hot take number two for this show. Hot take alert 2.0. Ryan, I think that next year we'll be talking about Mitchell Trubisky the way that we're talking about Jared Goff right now. Not necessarily as an MVP candidate, but I think that the people who labeled him as a bust after the first eight or nine starts of his career are going to have egg on their face. Yeah. And then, you know, Wentz obviously has not had the kind of year that he had two years ago, but Wentz and Goff two years ago, that that 2018 quarterback class that we spent, you know, what felt like six years of our lives hype, hyping up the Darnold, Rosen, Allen, Mayfield class. They're going to have some big shoes to fill because the last the two classes before them are a lot better than I thought they were. Yep, and rather than parting shots, uh, Ryan, want to wish you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great time with the family, listeners of the Giants podcast. We appreciate you tuning in every week. I know this has been an up and down season. Uh, hope everybody gets to their arrival at their destination safely, home safely, and can enjoy the game on Sunday. And I hope it's a great game. Yeah, throw on the podcast while while you're carving up the turkey. Let us join your uh, let us join your festivities, and uh, you know, convince you that the Giants have uh, have a season on their hands. No doubt about it. Go ahead and follow the show on Twitter at Talk Is Cheap NYG. Follow Ryan at R Y Dunleavy, and I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Ryan, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll talk to everybody next week. <laughs>